Grab your Bibles. If you don't have your Bible, go home and grab it and come back, and we'll wait for you. All right. By the way, the notes are always available on the, uh, the there's available on the Church Center app and on um, what is it called the U the U version app. If you can you can find City Lights Church um, on there, and our notes are always available on the U version app. Okay, the title of our Resurrection Sunday message is called True Love, True Life. True Love, True Life. What does true love really look like? And what does experiencing true life look like? At the core of every human being is the desire to experience true love and to experience true life. And I want to talk about that today. Let's start with True love. What is true love? How many know that the world oftentimes tries to define something, but in many cases the world um, has a misinterpretation or a very dim view of, of any definition for that matter? I believe this is the case when it comes to love. The world has a definition of love that um, fails to describe what true love actually is. The, the world's definition of love, I believe, is incomplete and, in many cases, inaccurate. What is love? I'm going to make what might seem to be a controversial statement. Um, I'm not intending it to be, at least not this morning. Maybe another time I'll make it for controversial sake. But I don't want you to read too much in between the lines because I don't want to take this sermon in a direction that I didn't intend it to go. But there's a popular um, statement out there that defines love by love. Some people say it like this, love is love. Okay, well, love is love, and they kind of use that to describe something. Again, I'm not highlighting that statement to go in a direction um, that I don't intend for it to go today. But I am saying that to get at the heart of what is love. Is love love? Does love, let me say it this way, does love define itself? Let me say it this way. Do we derive our definition of love from our subjective, arbitrary definition of what love is? I believe we do not, and let me explain this morning why I believe that is the case. Oh, it's not morning anymore. It's 12.01. This afternoon. Okay. In my own life... What I believed to be loved, uh, what I believed to be loved at the age of 18, 19, 20, was different from what I believed love was at the age of 30, and that was different from what I believe love is today. So let me ask you a question. Did the definition of love change as Pastor Kurt Chamberlain got older and became more mature? Was the definition of love subject to my growing understanding of what love is? To my arbitrary opinion, Uh, no, it wasn't. Something as paramount as what is love does not change at the rate of Pastor Kurt's perception of that thing. Amen. How many of you know love is something that's very defined? So love is not love. Love is not equal to love. We don't define, at least we don't define love by our arbitrary subjective Ideas of what love is, because our idea of what love is changes over time. What else is love not? Love is also not emotions. Now, 
Thank God, love involves emotions, but love in and of itself is not emotions. It's not our subjective state of our feelings where we derive our definition of love. Now, again, I'm not saying emotions are not important. How many know emotions are important? In fact, God, God is the author of emotions. And pretty much almost every, with, with two exceptions, I'll, I'll say what they are. If you read your Bible, you will see almost every emotion in, in the character and nature of God. You see at times there's, in the Bible, there's joy. At times there's sadness. At times there's anger. At times there's even disgust. Like God expresses all those emotions at different times. The two notable exceptions of emotions that we feel um, that God does not is fear. How many know God's not afraid? Right? And he doesn't want us to be either. The other notable exception is surprise. It's hard to, <clears throat> it's hard to surprise someone who knows everything that has ever happened and ever will happen. Right? So don't try to throw God a birthday party. So... Emotions are not bad, but they can be misleading. Because unlike God, you and I have fallen emotions. The reason we have emotions is because God has them. We're created in the likeness and the image of God. He's created us. But we're fallen beings. We, we are fallible beings, and our emotions are not perfect. I like to use this illustration, um, which I've used many times before. Emotions are like, uh, when you're driving a car, emotions are like children, you don't put them in the trunk and ignore them, right? But you also don't put them in the driver's seat and let them drive the car, okay? What do you do? You put them in the back seat, someplace safe. They're acknowledged there, but they're not in charge, and they're not being ignored, okay? That's a good word for someone right there. Some of you are ignoring your emotions altogether. Some of you are letting your emotions drive the car, and you should stop, okay? But emotions are good. They help us kind of understand what's going on here, and as we process that with the Holy Spirit, he can shine light on our emotions and shine light on what's going on in the situation, but we don't let them run our entire life. So if we don't get our definition of love from our arbitrary, subjective, ever-changing definition, or from our emotions, where do we get our definition of love? Where do we get our definition? What is true love? I want to propose to you that our definition of love comes from God, who is the author of love. Okay, this whole love thing, this was God's idea. We didn't come up with it. This was God's idea. He's the author of love. And it says this in 1 John 4, 16. It says this, uh, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. I'll pause right there just for a second. I love that verse. I love that I can know and rely on the love he has for me. That's what I'm relying on. I'm not relying on my love for him even. Because how many know my love, though I do love the Lord and I try, my love's not a straight line. My love kind of does this. Amen. But God's love is consistent. God's love is steady and God's love is unchanging. We can know and rely on the love God has for us. He goes on, he says this. For we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Okay? That's where we get our definition of love. God is love. We get our understanding of love from God, who, by the way, is unchanging. This is one of his divine attributes. 
that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. You and I, by nature, um, actually everything else in the universe changes. The only thing that is steady and never changes is the character and nature of God. God doesn't change. Even at times in Scripture, God has changed his mind about things. There would be certain people who pray to God, and, and they're close to the Lord, and, they, and God would change his mind about a situation, but God never changes his character. God never changes his nature. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My definition of love has changed over the years, but love was not subject to me because love is unchanging because God is unchanging. Amen? So what does love look like? I would say this, love looks like Jesus. Love looks like Jesus. God is love, and God became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Love looks like Jesus. Jesus is love personified. If you want to look into the eyes of love, look into the eyes of Jesus. That is love personified, because that's God. God is love. And what does love do? I like, it. I like the way uh, Heidi Baker says it. Heidi Baker's another uh, missionary in Mozambique, and she says, love looks like something. Love doesn't just stand back and never react. Love does something. And she says, love looks like something. It's, and it says this, of course, in the most uh, famous verse, probably in the whole Bible, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What do we learn about love here? Love gives. Okay? Love gives. Um, for those of you who are maybe in a dating relationship or single, I just want to encourage you. If you're with someone and you're considering marrying that person and they never give anything to you, they don't love you. <laughs> They're stingy. Okay? Don't marry that person. All right? <laughs> don't marry a stingy person. Marry someone who wants to give to you. Amen? My wife's going to hold me to that later. (laughs) You said it from the podium. (laughs) Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. I love this. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What else do we learn about love here? Love gives and love is sacrificial. True love is, at its core, is sacrificial. God is love and he is expressing to mankind his love through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That was God loving humanity. So you could say it like this. The cross is love. This is the greatest expression of love to humanity in the history of the world is the cross. The cross is God's love. John 15, 12 and 13, Jesus said this. He said, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. How many of that's a tall order? Love each other as I have loved you. But by the grace of God, he'll help us. Amen. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love gives. Love is sacrificial. Amen? Um, How many are glad that we live in a country that's free? But how many know freedom isn't free? 
There was a lot of uh, men and women who have gone before us who gave the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I could sit here on Easter morning and, in, and enjoy our day and feel safe and worship the living God free. Same thing with your salvation. Your salvation, your redemption wasn't free. Someone had to pay for it. Amen? <clears throat> but Jesus gave it all. So here's the deal. God is love. True love gives and true love is sacrificial. And the cross was God's expression to the world of God's love for us. If you went the rest of your life and you never heard God speak to your heart, say, I love you, or showed you in some manner that he loves you, you can go the rest of your life knowing that he does love you because of the cross. Man, I don't know about you, but you know I have those hard days where it's like, God, I'm not hearing you. God, I'm struggling. God, I need something. But listen, I can always rely on the fact that Jesus came to this world. Jesus paid the ultimate price on the cross for me. That is the ultimate expression of love for you. The greatest expression of love for you and me is Christ and him crucified. That is what true love looks like. Now I want to talk about true life. What is true life? How many know that the story didn't end at the cross on Good Friday. Thank God for the cross. The cross was the place your sin and my sin was paid for. But the resurrection is the other part of that equation. The resurrection is the other part of the story. If the only thing you needed to get saved was to just get your sins forgiven, then we would not need the resurrection. But our salvation is not complete without the resurrection. Being born again is more than just getting your sins forgiven. Thank God for the cross, and thank God we have forgiveness through the cross. But being born again is actually being raised to life with Jesus. That's what the resurrection is all all about. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God forgave us. But when we became born again, God raised your dead spirit to life. He took that which was dead and raised it to life. How many know that you can, you can for, if someone dies, you can forgive that person? But that doesn't make them rise from the dead, does it? Amen. But this is what Jesus did for us. Not only did he forgive us, and we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but then we identify with him in his death burial, and we identify with his resurrection. And he raises us to life. Amen. The greatest miracle in the history of the world is actually not the parting of the Red Sea, um, the planets being made. The greatest miracle of all is dead hearts being raised to life in Christ Jesus. Dead spirits that don't know him. It's not even someone being raised from the dead physically. It's being raised from the dead spiritually. That is the greatest miracle of all. And it says in the Bible that you and I are brand new creations in Christ Jesus. I was talking with someone this week, and we were, you know, talking about, you know, the, our past and those kind of things. And how sometimes your past tries to come on you. And, and, and the enemy of your soul, who's the accuser of the brother, and tries to bring guilt, shame, and condemnation on you. And I was telling this person, you know, I made some pretty bad decisions in the past. But if someone, honestly, one of the ways I identify with my past is I'm like... I don't even know that guy. He, he died. That Kurt died. That Kurt's in the grave. That guy that made those bad decisions, 
that greedy Kurt, the lustful Kurt, the, you know, whatever, covetousness Kurt, that Kurt died in the grave. Amen? And I can't even identify with that Kurt anymore because I've been raised to life in Christ Jesus. And that's the way you can deal with your past. Amen? The greatest miracle of all is being born again, going from death to life. Romans. And, and so the cross was important, but the resurrection is also important. Our salvation is not complete without the resurrection. Romans 5, 9, and 10 says this. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? His death was your death. His burial was your burial. His resurrection is your resurrection. And his life is your life. Okay? Jesus didn't just rise from the dead um, so that we could stand back and thank God that he did something amazing. That was, for, was also for you and me to have confidence before God. That like, you know what? You raised, Jesus was raised from the dead. I'm in Christ. I'm coming out of that grave too. Amen? That's resurrection power working on the inside of us. Colossians 3, 1, 1 through 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is in Christ in God. His life is our life. We were raised with him. And Romans 4.25, this just hits it on the head right here. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Oh, I love salvation. I love the miracle of salvation. I love it when... It, just clicks and, and people make that choice to come to him and he brings us out of that grave. Amen. Without his resurrection, we could not be raised. In fact, the apostle Paul said it like this. He was, he was talking to a group who didn't believe in the resurrection. Paul's like, if there's no resurrection, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then you're still dead in your sins. And we're to be pitied above all men because we're believing a lie. Amen. But how many know he did come out of that grave? And as we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection, we are raised with him. We needed the cross. That's God's expression of love to the world. But we also needed the resurrection. That's God's assurance of our justification. Just as if I had never sinned. Justified. So I'll conclude with this. His death was our death. His burial was our burial. His resurrection is your resurrection. His life is your life. And his righteousness is your righteousness. We have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He shared his righteousness with us. We didn't have our own. <laughs> Amen. But he shared his righteousness with us. Um, I'm my, my beautiful bride come up here. I want to use this as an illustration. Romans eight sixteen. I'll do this before I read that verse. He shares his righteousness with us. We don't have our own. And how many know that the church, the church, is the bride of Christ? I'm Christ in this scenario, okay? 
You better be careful. Yeah, right. It's just an illustration, but he lives in my heart. Okay. But how many know when we identify with him, when we come into covenant with him, he's righteous and he takes his righteousness and wraps his righteousness around us. Amen. And when God sees you, he doesn't see us and Jesus. He just sees Jesus. He just sees the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is the best news you probably ever hear in your, in your life. Amen. Give her a hand. Romans 8, 16, 17. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. We're inheritors. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might share in his glory. Oh my gosh. We could just camp on that one, couldn't we? Co-inheritors with Jesus. In other words, what he inherits, we inherit because we're in him. And it says that we may also share in his glory as we also identify with his sufferings and there's persecution involved there. We get to identify and share in his glory. What in the world is this kind of gospel that we're talking about here? Come on. This is good stuff. He displayed his love for us through his death. He was raised to life for our justification. His righteousness is our righteousness. John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He who believes in me, though he lives and lives, shall never die. If you have your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, there may, came, there may come a day where you will physically die, but how many know you are, you are spiritually going to live forever? And that eternal life doesn't just begin when you die. That eternal life begins the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ and invite him into your heart. Amen? You can experience true life today, here, and now. Amen? Romans 14, 8. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. The trajectory of your relationship with God and that true life you experience goes through this life, one day you die, but that trajectory continues on into eternity. This is true love. This is what true life looks like.